0: What's up, patrons? Ben and Chad here once again as the CME's Patreon Power Hour rolls on for May the 12th, 2023. Welcome in also to anyone who may be listening for free during Pledge Month. Of course, if you like what you hear today, we cordially invite you to head over to patreoncom co main event. And join the team. So you can have this much fun all the time, man. We don't want you to miss out. We don't want you to just be listening during the pledge free weeks and then have to go back to your normal boring life without the power hour, without the live chat, without doing the damn thing. You don't want to be there. Make no. a change. Strive for something better.
1: I mean, that might be a life, but it sure ain't living.
0: That's <laughs> There you, know? you go. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, ben, we got this UFC on ABC card coming up tomorrow. Bellator also has an event tonight, I believe they are over in France, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so we will talk mostly about Jarzino Rosenstrike versus Jailton Almeida and anything else that seems of interest on this UFC on ABC card, for the most part. And then uh, second half of the show, of course, we'll have power rankings. And in the middle, we'll make a sandwich out of $20 we never want to see again. We're down in North Carolina, randomly, for this ABC event. Spectrum Center, Charlotte, North Carolina. Sounds like a place uh, Ric Flair might cut a promo about.
1: (laughs) It really does. You can just see him. You can see him telling you that he doesn't care if he's meeting you in Tokyo, Japan, uh, London, England. Or down there in Charlotte at the Spectrum Center, whatever, you know, he's going to – these alligators are getting hard to hold down.
0: Yeah. Let me tell you something, playboy buddy Rose. Saturday (laughs) night, May the 25th, down there at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, brother. Woo! Uh, Okay. Heavyweight main event. Jarzino, Rosenstrike and Jailton Almeida. I'm sure everybody knows the scene. Jailton Almeida, sort of a fast-rising star for the UFC, which in the heavyweight division – Is a valuable thing. Jarzino Rosenstrike fresh off a quick win over, I believe, Chris Dawkins. Let me get this straight just for sure. Yeah, Chris Dawkins. Yeah. Big Dawkins, 23 second, first round knockout, UFC 282 in December of 2022. Netted the Biggie Boy a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. But prior to that, he had lost two in a row. He's looking to get back on track a little bit here. Get a a little win streak going, trying to get back to contender status. Now, Ben, a couple of weeks ago, we had discussed the idea of Curtis Blades essentially being a heavyweight gatekeeper, guarding the door to elite status. But I might proffer, as we begin this week's Power Hour.
1: Don't you start proffering. I hate when you proffer.
0: Perhaps Jarzino Rosenstrike is a bit more fitting of the gatekeeper tab here in the heavyweight division beating him that may not get you all the way to the top of the escalator but at least it's going to get you in the front door agree or disagree
1: yeah at least at this point I do agree I also though think the thing about Jarzinho Rosenstrike using him as a sort of measuring stick for where somebody is in the heavyweight division is that he represents a certain kind of fight A certain kind of opponent. I I guess you could make this claim that somebody like Curtis Blades does too in its own way. But it's like we've seen at this point that the biggie boy is beatable. Mm -hmm. If you go out there, you have the right physical tools. You have the right uh, strategic approach to it. We've seen kind of a blueprint on how you can beat that guy. That sometimes... Jarzino Rosenstrike is the kind of dude who will spend an entire fight waiting for that one perfect punch to knock you out with. And if he lands that punch, you could have some problems. You you could have a damn hole in your face, as Alistair Overeem found out. But once you know that that's kind of his thing, unless he has added some more wrinkles to the game, eh, that does make him a little easier to prepare for, don't you think?
0: Yeah, a little bit. And uh, I'm going to read some quotes here from Jarzino Rosenstrike, and we can... Maybe talk about the the matchmaking a little bit in this fight, because here's what Rosenstrike had to say at the press conference this week during media day. He says, we didn't want to do the fight. Me and my team, we discussed it right away. We were coming off a good win and we wanted to fight someone higher in the rankings. The UFC really wanted the fight. So the fight is happening. It's not that I don't want to fight him. I want to fight someone higher in the rankings. If he was ranked high above me, yeah, why not? But we work for the company, not the company working for us. So the fight is happening, and that's it. Thanks, by the way, to Danny Segura for the transcription over there at MMA Junkie of that press conference quote. Uh, there's a little bit to unpack there, don't you think? Yeah, that, uh, this is never
1: a good idea. This is never, ever a good idea to do this. Like, to, to come out and say this stuff like that before a fight, really. Like, because what's the best case scenario? Like, that people take you at your word and be like, you didn't want it, but you're a company guy, you wanted to do it. Because that's not that great uh, an outcome for you. And the other side of people going to be like, oh, shit, he really didn't want this one. Yeah. You know?
0: I mean, I feel like it opens a lot of doors and none of them are good for the big yeah. boy, right? You can question his motivation here. You can question uh The matchmaking, because if the UFC, quote, really wanted this fight and Jarzino Rosenstrike didn't really want it, and we know at least theoretically that they're trying to cultivate Jailton Almeida as a heavyweight contender, Almeida is on the record publicly saying the UFC wants to see me at the top or something of that nature, Uh you can put together a... Uh, a working hypothesis here for what the ufc wants to see happen in this fight that is also borne out by the odds if you go look at those yeah. over at uh DraftKings or anywhere else so and not only that but like if you're the biggie boy you know who's not going to be too happy about quotes like this is the ufc so i don't know if you are worried about pissing off the bosses i don't know if you are worried about alienating fans or making it seem like this isn't This isn't going to go great for you, but you kind of hit a trifecta with this quote here with nothing positive. It doesn't seem like for Jarzino Rosenstrike. Yeah,
1: it's sort of like saying like, hey, this person asked me to take the blame for them. And so I am because once you say it, then you're not taking the blame. It's similar to what you're saying. They wanted me to do the thing. I work for the promotion, everything. Once you say all that stuff. Uh, they they don't necessarily feel like you're doing them such a favor because it does make it seem like they've sort of painted you into a corner and what are you going to do you got to take the fight and I also feel like the you look at the where everybody is in their career an astute observer somebody who has seen how this sport goes might look at it and be like this is the one where the UFC is going let us get this guy who we're very excited about who's been on a hot streak has yet to lose a fight in the UFC bunch of early finishes let's get him some shine off of this other guy's name while there are still some shine to be had and you could do the math on that one and be like that's probably what they are thinking will happen here yeah and the odds you're right also i mean i would argue the odds might be a little lopsided a little ahead of where everybody is but they uh, they do portray a main event that they don't expect to be terribly competitive
0: yeah you know yeah uh the second you know the last part of this we work for we work for the company the covenant company doesn't work for us again just sad reinforces the sad state of affairs here in terms of the workforce and management and the relationships in the ufc it's not like that's something we don't know we know full well what the Mm -hmm. relationships are here but just makes me feel sad to hear the biggie boy have to come out and say it as concretely and explicitly as he says it there, that basically they got to do whatever the UFC tells them to do, and that's why we're having this main event on Saturday night at the Spectrum Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina. Woo. Uh, let, you, <laughs> I, know, you got I, something else?
1: Well, the thing about Jalen Almeida, I can understand why everybody's very excited about him, right? You see this guy coming up in heavyweight, winning a whole bunch of fights in a row and everything. I do wonder, don't you look, look at a guy like that who— consistently every time he weighs in now the story is going to be he's given up this many pounds to his opponent like isn't it just he one loss away from everybody telling him to go to light heavyweight? you know <laughs> one yeah. getting held down by a wrestler away from everybody being like you're a real light heavyweight bro because it's every single time people have been like we're we're sitting around all i think wondering to ourselves is the era of the six foot three inch 230 pound heavyweight over or could it come back
0: yeah, like that's – and you remember when those kind of guys were all the rage when Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos and people of, of that general size were dominating the heavyweight division. We thought that the young, smaller, more athletic, faster heavyweights were maybe the wave of the future, and that was kind of before the Giants came back in and, and reminded us that, that size actually matters when you're up there at the, at the heavyweight division. Jailton Almeida. 18 and two overall, undefeated in the UFC. He's coming off a string of pretty impressive wins over Shamiel akimov Anton Turkaj, Parker Porter, Porter DeNeo Marquez, etc., etc. Looks like let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six of his last ten victories. He hasn't lost since January 2018, by the way, which is pretty impressive, especially in the heavyweight division. Six of his last ten wins are by submission. And he says here in his quotes at the UFC on ABC media day this week, he says, Jarzino is an extremely dangerous guy, an experienced guy. It's no wonder he's number nine in the rankings. He's fought many guys, including world champions, and he's trying to get to the belt too. He has really dangerous striking, but I'll look to impose my game plan. My strong suit is his weakness. I'll try to be efficient, take him to the ground and catch him he also says he's ready for boxing if uh almeida defends his takedowns i have a plan b i move pretty well i'm an athletic heavyweight he doesn't move very much he stands still i'll be moving around until i find an opening to impose my game plan so Jailton almeida not being all that cagey about what he plans to do <laughs> out there this weekend sounds like he wants to take him down and tap him out again a finish that's borne out by the odds if you look at the winning method odds over there on DraftKings that uh, you can normally get pretty significant plus odds on somebody winning by submission. This week, J- Jailton Almeida, last time I looked, was minus 115 to win the fight by submission. So wow. uh, favorite side money, minus money on Jailton Almeida by submission, which tells you something. On the other hand, the biggie boy, Ben Folks has never been submitted in his professional MMA career. Now, All- see,
1: I was just about to point that out. And then I was going to wait for you to be like, okay, yeah, but who's the best submission artist he's faced?
0: <laughs> well, see, here we are. We're flip-flopping now. I'll I'll say the Biggie Boy throughout, uh, what is it? His 17-fight professional MMA career has never been submitted. I'll kick it over to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh reporter CME Brazilian jiu-jitsu correspondent, Ben folks. What what do you have to say that say about that?
1: I mean, how much of his ground game have we seen? We saw him get sort of taken down a whole bunch and held there by Alistair or Overeem who wasn't really trying to submit him was just trying to beat him up on the floor. So other than that, who's the, who's the best jiu-jitsu practitioner who actually tried to practice some jiu-jitsu on him. Was it Andre (laughs) Arlovsky? Was it Alan Crowder? You know, yeah, was it Cyril gone? Mm-mm. It was not. I could tell you that one right now. I guess Curtis Blades, you know, but Curtis Blades just went out there and just wrestled him because yeah. that's all he had to do, really. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like, it's not as if we've we could say, well, you can't submit Jarzino Rosenstrike because it's never been done. <laughs> well.
0: I got to be honest, I do remember Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt Junior Albini. Remember, he used to show up wearing the diaper? Remember, he's the heavyweight uh, that used to wear I the could. the trunks that look kind of like a diaper? He was actually uh, the Biggie Boys' debut opponent in the UFC back in February of 2019. Uh, Rosenstrike defeated him by second round TKO via head kick and punches, but I don't remember that fight. My assumption is Junior Albini did not try to do any jiu-jitsu. Against Jarzino Rosenstrike, but I think you're right. He hasn't fought a lot of real dangerous ground guys throughout his UFC career. But I guess I would also proffer this question: Is Jailton Almeida fucked if he can't get this fight to the ground? Because the Biggie Boy is a talented striker. And last I looked, Junior or Jarzino Rosenstrike was, or I'm sorry, Jailton Almeida. A lot of J names this week. uh, Is something like a minus 500 favorite. Is he screwed if he has to wage a kickboxing match against Jailton Almeida against fucking a dude, Jarzino <laughs> strike. God damn it! The big—I'm just gonna say the Biggie Boy, so I don't get yeah. myself confused. Uh, what's up with the Biggie Boy's takedown defense? And if he can keep himself on his feet, is Jailton Almeida screwed?
1: I mean, obviously, if he cannot take. Rosen strike down, then his, his chances get worse if yeah. he just absolutely can't do it. The thing I'll be interested to see is how early do you try to do it? Because didn't we just see... Curtis Blades go out there in a fight where we thought, okay, Curtis Blades going to look to get this one to the floor. But he wants to stand here and establish that he can throw them things too and that he's not just shooting out of desperation as soon as they say fight. And the next thing you know, though, he gets clipped a couple times. And then when he does finally shoot, there's really not a whole lot on it. And it's getting to be too late. You don't want to make that mistake. You also don't want to go out there when the guy is sort of in high alert mode looking for that takedown and show him, this is all I got. I gotta get you to the floor. Yeah. Because takedowns get a whole lot easier to stop when you feel like that's all you have to think about and that's all that's coming your way. So it is kind of a fine line to walk. At the same time, though, I think he probably does get him to the ground. The question is, can Jarzinho Rosen strike get up without, you know, exposing his neck or something? You know, because yeah. this is one of those fights where we've talked about it before. If we're in the corner, we're gonna tell you, hey. This fight is not dependent on us having 100% takedown defense. This fight is dependent on us popping back up every single time we hit the canvas.
0: Sounds like maybe he should have gone down to Houston and trained with Derek Lewis so we could have that just stand up takedown yeah. defense.
1: The important piece of that one is first, you have to look up at the lights for a minute or two, heave a heavy sigh <laughs> like a man who has just hit the snooze button for the third time and then get up that's the key to the Derek Lewis approach. Yeah.
0: All right. Here is perhaps the million dollar and maybe unanswerable question about Jailton Almeida. He is already out to a four fight win streak in the UFC, which does not count his win on the Dana White contender series in September of 2021 to earn his birth into the UFC. Uh, He is 31 years old. He is currently ranked number 12 in the UFC heavyweight division, according to the almost completely worthless official rankings, Jarzino Rosenstrike is ranked number nine. If this thing plays out according to chalk, and Jailton Almeida defeats the biggie boy and jumps up, how long can we play out the string here before we hot shot Jailton Almeida into some manner of title shot? Also considering that that real elite level right now of the UFC kind of appears to be locked down in the heavyweight division with John Jones and Stipe Miocic and kind of like a rinse and repeat uh group of challengers here Sergey Pavlovich probably going to be in line before anyone else Curtis Blades also still up there you know then you got you got the usual suspects kind of rounding out the top 15 but we know in heavyweight the distance between two points is shorter than it is in any other yeah weight class how how long before jilton almeida essentially gets inserted into a title shot here
1: well at least right now the version of events that we are told we should expect in the heavyweight division at the very top sort of makes it sound like we're looking at two different eras to come the you know before john jones's i'm going to say next retirement (laughs) uh and after and it kind of seems to me like, just with what we're dealing with, Jelton Almeida is probably going to fall on the after side. Yeah. However, could I see a situation where you go out here, you finish Jairzino Rosen strike on ABC in the middle of a Saturday afternoon, a few months from now, somebody is out of a UFC heavyweight title fight for, could be any number of reasons. Maybe maybe one fella gets stuck up in a tree trying to rescue a cat, maybe another fella Drives his car through a daycare. One reason or another, maybe they are in need of an opponent. Some other guys who might be on that short list say no or can't do it or whatever. The phone could ring. Yeah, that's you. You win this fight, and you're at least you're on that list of guys we call if we need a short notice heavyweight title contender. So you ought to stay in shape. But I would also think that a more realistic timeline would mean you probably got to fight one more time.
0: Yeah, if you win no. this one. I agree. Uh, Just run down the rest of the card one more time before we move on to $20 we never want to see again. It is a card that seems like it'll be worth your time. Over there on the ABC Network. The Biggie Boy in Jailton Almeida is your heavyweight main event co-main, Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker, and what seems like an interesting 205-pound fight to me. Then you got Daniel Rodriguez versus the fast rising prospect Ian Gary. Light heavyweight fight between Carlos Ulberg and Ihor Pateria. Then a welterweight fight rounding out the main card, Alex Morano versus Tim Means. Also wanted to mention your featured prelim. Matt Brown and Court McGee gonna get in the time machine, Ben. Welterweight action straight out of 2004. So that's going, to be, uh, that's going to be interesting. Anything else you wanted to add? Or should we get into the thick of it here? Let's
1: get in the thick of it.
0: All right, $20 right we never want to see again. For long-time listeners of The Power Hour, will know that this is our weekly quote-unquote betting segment where you and I make terrible wagers, which more often than not cause us to lose a bunch of money if you are a new listener, I would caution you that this segment is for entertainment purposes only. Yeah, do not mistake us for Dan, Tom, or one of these other MMA sharps who's out here giving you betting advice and posting their units and how many uh, units they won, what cashed with their uh, their flyers, cash. Hey, we, so it's not,
1: I mean, we are though keeping track. Like that's yeah, no, I we're track. I feel like anybody who does any sort of betting segment the thing you owe to everybody is to to keep a diligent record and show your work show you the results and how it's gone just so we know how seriously to take your advice i'd also say not only is it for entertainment purposes only that's a legal disclaimer by the way yeah so um,
0: i guess what i'm saying is despite the fact that we're keeping track do not run to the window. After listening to this segment, do not run to the to the sports betting window and be like, oh, Ben folks just gave me this hot tip on the uh, fight night card this weekend. I got to put my this month's uh, mortgage payment down on it to really cash in. Do not do that because our picks are generally super shitty.
1: Well, the thing that's important to know as a sort of a philosophical way to read $20 we never want to see again as a segment is this is us not trying to make a living at MMA gambling, this is us taking 20 bones each week and yep. trying to make some magic happen.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Trying to make Look, that looking
1: magic. Looking around for a bargain, you know?
0: Speaking of magic, Ben, this past weekend was probably my best weekend of the year so far in $20. We never want to see again. I'll tell you a little bit about my journey. First <laughs> Please do. First, first of all, I went three for four on my bets. So I only missed one bet this weekend. But So here's what happened. I missed my parlay. I had a three-fight parlay, which was Movsar, Evalev, Jessica Andraj, and Drew Dober. So Mm. that one got smashed pretty much right away. And uh, only Evalev won his fight, and maybe not as impressively as we thought he would. So that three-fight parlay was flawed from the jump. But after that, I had Bilal Muhammad and I had Aljamain Sterling both to win, and they did. So I came out of Saturday night's UFC 288 with a 2 cent profit. I was sitting there at $20.02. And then Sunday night, I had the $5 bet riding on the Seattle Kraken to win game 3 of their playoff series against the Dallas Stars at +120, and I hit it, baby. They won that game. $11, which put me at 31.02 which is obviously a profit of $11.02. I came into the week sitting down there at negative $66.34 for the year. With these winnings, Ben folks, I have reduced that margin to negative $55.32. We're coming back, baby. We're clawing our way back up the mountain. Yeah. That's
1: impressive. Only down fifty some bucks now.
0: It's uh, just a few weeks, and we'll be right back in it. We'll be in the. We'll be in the. The. We'll be neck and neck in this thing.
1: Well, I did i which is to say, I did not lose money. Okay. I had the main event to go the distance. That hit. I also had Drew Dober in a parlay with Lev, and uh, you know we know how that went. But I also had a parlay of Bilal Muhammad plus. Manchester City over there mm. in the EPL that hit. Okay, I had Dermasodagaki in the uh, damn old Kentucky Derby. You know, you know that didn't work out. Um, and then I, over in Major League Baseball, which you keep trying to advise me away from, I had the Braves, Mets, and Angels. That did not hit. I ended up turning my twenty dollars into twenty dollars and seventy three cents. That is a profit of seventy three cents, almost enough for a pack of gum. Uh, I am now at minus $22.24 with, you will note, $5 still in play. Don't forget, I got $5 on the Yankees to win the World Series.
0: Yeah, how are they doing? Where are they at this point? Are they still in the cellar at the, in the AL East?
1: They are playing that baseball, is what I can tell you. They're <laughs> still they're showing up every baseball. day.
0: baseball they're still playing ball, giving okay. it everything they got.
1: Uh, Aaron Judge is off the disabled list. Uh, we're we're picking ourselves up, we're dusting ourselves off, and you know what? It's fucking May. Yeah. It is May. There's a lot of baseball left to play.
0: Well, I'm glad they're still playing ball, given mm-hmm. that it's mid-May. They have glad not they're still going out there. Up their most operation putting the gloves on and uh, running around the diamond. All Pleased right, let's
1: report the New York Yankees are still playing baseball.
0: Let's fast forward now into this week's UFC on ABC card. I'll be honest with you, not a ton of sweet lines, not a bunch of real uh, eye-opening stuff as far as I was concerned. Maybe you will have found something that I didn't, uh, but I have six bets. I have four. Okay. Then I'll just tell you, brother, I'm jumping in the wayback machine and I got... Both Tim Means and Matt Brown to win their fights, both of them at plus 185, both of them with a $2.50 bet. Each of those pays out $7.12 when the old dogs head out to the cage and get victories this weekend, get upset victories this weekend. Matt Brown and Tim Means, both of them straight up just to win.
1: Okay, so that's two separate bets, not a parlay.
0: It's not a parlay. Okay. I should have I parlayed also, it just for fun, but those are just singles.
1: I also have Tim Means to win, but I put five bucks down on it. Plus 185 odds on that, five bucks to make 14 Okay, 25
0: Okay. Just, that's just Tim Means. You didn't go with Matt just Brown.
1: Straight up Tim Means, the dirty bird.
0: All right. I got a two-fight Bellator parlay. Oh, Jesus. Going down from Paris. The magic
1: words everybody longs to hear. A Bellator parlay.
0: I got your boy Gagard Musasi. Of course you do. And I'm gonna team him up with Costello Van Steenis. Hmm. Totally Is a, that real a real person? person. Okay. Not not a an uh a Flemish count of the 18th century. <laughs> Costello Van Steenis, renowned yeah. for his uh his navy. He had a he had a very powerful navy back during colonial times, Costello Van Steenis.
1: Didn't he that die is, in Belgium in World War One? Yeah. He got, uh,
0: he got dysentery. Uh plus one thirty one is where you get to with that two fight parlay. A five dollar bet will pay out eleven dollars and fifty-eight cents.
1: Okay. Well, I got Ian Gary to win by TKO. Okay. Five bucks to make fifteen seventy-five. Kind of counting on that one. I'm gonna be honest with you.
0: Remember how I was talking about uh, Jailton Almeida's potentially flawed plan against mm-hmm. the Biggie Boy? You can take all that talk, wad it up, and toss it right in the trash bin. Because I, I took the terrible number, Jailton Almeida, by submission. At minus 115, a $2.50 bet will pay out $4.67.
1: You know, it just, I hope he takes him right down immediately and then just hammer fists just him.
0: pounds him out. That's probably mm-hmm. the more likely more likely finish and you would have got better odds on it as well. All right. I got two more. How many more you got?
1: I got two more as well.
0: Okay. You know who I hate most of all, more than anyone.
1: (laughs) Hitler. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Not historically just this weekend. Uh, I hate, the hated and loathsome Las Vegas Golden Knights, so you can give yeah. me the Edmonton motherfucking Oilers at minus 130. A $2.50 bet pays out $4.42. Fuck the Knights.
1: Okay. I mean, I agree, fuck the Knights, but these guys have been kind of going back and forth in this series. You know? Fuck the Knights. Oilers just won the last one. Although, did you see, we were talking about if the, that suspension would be coming for your dude Alex Petrangelo after he just hacked Leon Dreisaitl right on the wrist and it did, in fact, come for
0: him. Yeah, looking like he's chopping wood with an axe out there. Well,
1: Chad, I got the main event. Almeida and Rosenstrike to go over 1.5 rounds. Mm. Plus 170. Five bucks to make 13.50.
0: You know, that's that's not a terrible over. Although in this particular matchup, it might take some big old heavyweight balls to lay that one because (laughs) it's possible you're going to get a quick finish out of this this fight. It is possible. Maybe it depends on the Biggie Boys takedown defense. Who knows? Maybe it does. All right. My final bet this week should come as a surprise to absolutely fucking nobody. I rode with them last week. I'm riding with them again. The Seattle Kraken to win game six at home against the Stars. They have lost two rather lopsided games to the Stars. They come back, going to get them back in Seattle. $5 bet at plus 130 Pays out $11.50. Force game seven, baby. Let's go.
1: You know, I got to be honest with you. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable when you insist on betting on the Kraken when I also feel like I have, you know, emotional stakes there. It's just... Seeing as how you're 50 bucks in the hole.
0: I'm not here talking about witchcraft or superstitions. Seattle cracking to win $5 bet. Here we go. Okay. Forcing game seven. And then you know what? You know what I'm going to do? If we got game seven, I'm betting on them again.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going to finish up this week. Because I absolutely am determined to win a major league baseball bet. Oh my
0: god! Okay, all right. Okay,
1: give me the Yankees tonight playing uh, playing host to the first place Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but we got our guy gar- gar- on the mound, and give me the Brewers. That's a two game parlay, straight up money line, plus one twenty three odds on that five to make eleven fifteen. Let's go.
0: Okay, all right. Going back to the well. On the old national pastime, despite the fact that I have told you again and again, don't bet on baseball, a lesson learned. I will bet on baseball, Chad. I will bet on baseball,
1: and eventually I will fucking win.
0: You know what? Maybe you could take an example from American hero Pete Rose and learn (laughs) don't bet on baseball. All right, let's bring the music in. We'll shift gears here everybody's favorite recurring segment in all of sports podcasting. The name rolls off the tongue. We paid six figures to a marketing firm to come up with the name for this one, and they hit a home run, speaking of baseball co-main event podcast patreon power hour power rankings start now we're counting them down from 10 to 1 the most powerful happenings this week in mixed martial arts and i will be honest with you it was a bit of a chore to find 10 powerful happenings in the world of mixed martial arts this week but we're starting here number 10 ben folks gsp says the ufc did not have his back on drug testing And he also idly daydreams about how good he could have been if he was on that good good. Here's the quotes here. I'm looking at, uh, The Bloody Elbow story by Malone Ordoñez. I assume that he is transcribing from somewhere else. Here are the quotes. I was on top of that fight against performance-enhancing drugs in the sport, and I felt like the UFC at the time did not have my back. They didn't want it. They didn't want any part of testing. The UFC didn't have my back at first. They didn't want nothing of it. They even told other guys, Oh, don't take the test. Don't take the test. It drove me crazy. And if I could go back, I would have held my stand and said, oh, yeah, if you don't want to test, I'm out. I would have even retired, says George St. Pierre. Hmm. Well,
1: I mean, you you could have, I guess, but you didn't. Um, I remember all this VADA stuff back and forth about, you know, are we going to all sign up for some drug testing thing? And I don't remember it being quite as black and white. My memory is a little hazy on some of this stuff, but I don't remember being quite as clear as that GSP was the one constantly pushing for it and everybody was against him. I remember him kind of bringing it up from time to time, but also sort of uh, you know, leaving some people on red when it came to them getting back to him about it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, hey, I'm tell- I don't know why we're going back to relitigate this stuff anyway, but you also had Faraz Zahabi. I'm not even going to read the quotes, but you did have Faraz in the news this week. I'm sure maybe people are just asking him about it. Maybe they're not bringing it up of their own accord, but you had Zahabi out this past week specifically picking out uh, Johnny Hendricks and saying he was on the steroids and uh, he refused to take an HGH test before his fight with George Doesn't Faraz
1: Faraz has some kind of podcast or something, right? Like It seems like Faraz has been trying to break into the... the, um, you know, be a super alpha male influencer space.
0: Oh, good. Great. You know what I mean? Yes. That's what we need. More of that. We need more self-actualization male podcasters out there telling everybody, stop being a pussy. No one cares. Work harder. Embrace the grind. Go to the gym. Do kettlebell swings. That's what that's. Yeah. We're going to save society with that. That's what we're going to do. Well on our way. Here's my favorite part of this George St. Pierre interview. Quote, I asked myself, how good would I be if I took some stuff? Even some of my training partners, they tell me they take certain things and I see they're not even the same people when they are and they are not on PEDs. Crazy difference. People say, oh, it has nothing to do with the drugs because you're the one throwing the punch. Yes, it has something to do with it. It's a bullshit excuse because when you take performance enhancing drugs, it changes you not only physically, it changes you mentally. I shudder to even imagine a reality, Ben, where George St. Pierre is out there looking like Brock Lesnar taking people down and smashing their heads just you're good enough george george buddy you were good enough you were good enough bud
1: but then he wouldn't be able to say that he never take the steroid
0: i never take the steroid sometimes i wonder how good would i be if i took the steroid number nine this week ben if it's a question of damned if you do damned if you don't for kelvin gastelum He's going to go ahead and choose the damned if he does option. Kelvin Gastelum announces return to UFC welterweight division. Quote, I'm going to get shredded.
1: (laughs) Me too, bro. (laughs) Me too. Any day. I'm just about to start.
0: Mike Hex story over on MMA fighting. I agree, man. Like Dan Henderson, I am perennially... (laughs) Just about to start working hard. I'm just about to start running. All that stuff. Going to get shredded just like Kelvin Gastelum. And then 170 pounds, here we all come.
1: I just, I understand why Kelvin Gastelum, because he's, he's probably right now the prototype for the guy who is sort of stuck between divisions. Because he's not quite tall enough and big enough to be a middleweight, but he's still a very good fighter and can still yeah. beat a lot of middleweights. And I can understand him and thinking, like, if I could just also had size advantage working for me too, then I'd be a world champion. And I could do that if I just dropped 15 more pounds, which has been tricky before. And now you're doing it when you're a few years older. It usually doesn't get any easier for people. I guess, do you tell yourself you're just like whole new diet approach? You know, here's what we're going to do. Uh, cutting out ketchup. Yeah. No more ketchup at all, ever. Boom. Welterweight.
0: New weight class, new me for Calvin Gastelum. You know what he's probably doing is listening to Faraz Zahabi's podcast. He's embracing the grind. He's changing up his diet. He's being meticulous. He's keeping a journal. And he's, Mm -hmm. you know, he's going to just change his life because no one cares. Work harder.
1: Nothing to eat after three o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Maybe he's doing the intermittent fasting. Maybe he's going to Dana White's uh, Svengali doctor and eating paleo and doing the fasting, getting caught in just the perfect light. We know what else that doctor is offering people. I wonder how good I would be if I took the steroid. Uh, Number eight this week, Ben, Jamal Hill has some words for people who say the light heavyweight division is quote unquote weak, but maybe we're not totally having the same conversation. Here is Jailton Almay, or I'm sorry, Jamal Hill. These J names. We should, let's take it again. Let's take it again from the top. Okay.
1: Nope. Nope. We're moving on. What's up, patrons?
0: Ben and Chad here (laughs) once again. Jamal Hill. This is him talking to MMA Junkie. I think it's an exciting time for the division. I've heard a lot of people say some shit like the division is the weak division. That's some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard. The logic that I'm hearing is it's a weak division because anybody can beat anybody, whether they're one dude beating the shit out of the entire division that makes the division weaker. If we really think about that, that's the dumbest shit you ever heard. So basically he's talking about parody. He's talking about parody at light yeah. heavyweight. And I don't think that's totally why people are looking at light heavyweight right now. I don't even know if we're saying it's weak. I think what we're saying is there's no one real marketable person on top of the division like John Jones who can be a dominant champion stoke interest and sell pay-per-views i think that's what we're saying it's just a little bit of a uh a low ebb a low tide right now for light heavyweight i don't think anybody is coming out and calling jamal hill or any of the other 205 pound top contenders weak i don't think it's a weak division i just think it's a uh it's a it's a an unremarkable division in terms of name recognition right now yeah and i mean i get the point
1: that he's making that hey When you get into one of these time periods where the division is kind of several different guys having a cup of coffee with the belt and passing it around, that's, if anything, a sign of how the competition is all close to one another, that there's a bunch of guys. It's not just one guy who's good and everybody else who sucks, which kind of, but I think you're right that what we're mostly saying is we feel like we saw who the best light heavyweight in the world is, and now he's up fighting at heavyweight, and so Whenever you get into a situation like that, whoever comes along and is the champ after that, we are going to, at least for a while, have it in the back of our heads that, yeah, you're the champ of that division unless that other dude comes back. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Number seven this week, Ben, bad news for Canadians and VPNers who are used to hitting up those Bellator YouTube streams. This is from the big homie Aaron Bronstetter, who you know has lock, has it locked down when it comes to any MMA news north of the border. He says, going forward, Bellator MMA events will be available to Canadians on bellator.com and will no longer be shown on YouTube. A seven-day pass to watch Bellator MMA events and the full card replay will cost $19.50 Canadian, beginning with tomorrow's Bellator 296 event. Now, if I'm Bellator, Ben, I don't know if I look around the landscape right now. And think to myself, you know what we should do? Is we should make Bellator events harder to find and more difficult to watch. Fuck this YouTube shit. Let's put it on our own website and charge 20 bones for it. I I mean, no, you guys. No, don't keep hiding the stuff from us. Put it somewhere where we can easily find it. And with our VPNs, perhaps even watch it for free.
1: Yeah, it does seem like... Trying to make Bellator less accessible at this time is the the exact wrong thing to do, especially because a seven day pass yeah. to watch Bellator on YouTube. One thing I think you're gonna have a hard time just psychologically getting people to pay to watch anything on YouTube because it just it's not how no, our brains not, are wired. It's not even
0: on YouTube. It's gonna be on Bellator.com
1: okay. No longer showing. You. I see. So now, okay. Go to bellator.com. Okay. Seven day pass to watch it. That costs almost 20 bucks Canadian. How many of those seven day passes do you think you're going to sell?
0: Like, well, one to Aaron Bronstetter, <laughs> maybe another I mean, one I, to GSP.
1: I do feel like you could kind of sit and count them. The number you're going to sell. You just very, you know, 25, <laughs> you know, like there's just, I don't think you're going to sell a whole lot of those. And so what you lose by having like people who before were like, okay, yeah, I'll watch some Bellator and you take that away from them. And if they're not going to pay the money and get on board, so it's not like the coffers are being filled, then you're just losing audience without really gaining enough money to make it worth the audience that you've lost. I just don't see it as a great sign for where Bellator is right now.
0: Yeah. Especially with, uh, the PFL out here making moves. I just don't necessarily know if it is a great idea to to continue to make it hard for people to find your product. Now there are 38 point25 million people in Canada so
1: so if you I mean, get seven f- 1950 from every one of them,
0: then you'd be doing good. you'd be
1: doing just fine. Well some of those people live in the same household so let's say, You know, divide that by four and multiply it by 20 bucks Canadian.
0: Number six this week, Ben. Gegard (laughs) Musasi, Legend or no legend? Fabian Edwards says no. Now, I don't know if we can count Fabian Edwards as a objective...
1: Yeah, not exactly impartial
0: viewer here, impartial viewer, but he is going to fight Gegard Musasi at this Bellator event in Paris. The stare down picture, by the way, if you can track it down uh, with Gegard Mousasi looking like he's going to the university bookstore to get his textbooks for his computer science major. Uh,
1: (laughs) And the face he's making when he sees him. This is the face I make when I pass uh, people on the trail while I'm hiking with my dog or I'm just like, hey, yep, hi, how you doing?
0: I want a title shot. That's it, says Fabian Edwards. I don't really look at him like as a legend or anything like that in my eyes. He's just another man. And on Friday night, I'm going to go in there, put hands on him, and that's it, he said at the pre-fight press conference. That tra- uh, transcription is by Adam Galen Jr. Jr. over at uh, Bloody Elbow. What do you think, Ben? Gagard Musasi? MMA legend or not?
1: I mean, similar to how when we have the conversation about do we want the Hall of Fame to just be the absolute elite best of the best or do we want there to be at least a wing for the awesome dudes of MMA, Kegard Nusasi is in the awesome dudes section of MMA legends. Yeah,
0: at the this awesome point. dudes. Just world. for
1: sheer longevity. You know? Yeah, no, like, I agree. And I understand how if you're going in to fight that guy and you're thinking about yourself and your own career, you probably don't want to get in your head thinking about like, oh man, this guy, he's been around forever, he's fought so many great fighters, he's a legend. You don't want to start thinking that way, I totally get it. But what you're not about to do is sit up here and act like this is not sweet and sassy himself, the young vagabond, Gagard Musasi. 'Cause because it damn well is. That man has been places, he has seen things. We're going to give him his due.
0: Number five this week, Ben, Dominic Cruz says he'll cut a bitch, you know, (laughs) (laughs) only because he thinks that's what the current MMA scoring criteria calls for. This is uh, Dominic Cruz, I believe on the Brendan Schaub, one of Brendan Schaub's many uh, talky talk shows. He says, as a commentator, I got to go to the judging criteria meeting and learn, and it was really helpful, says Cruz. They're scoring a a little bit different. They're scoring on damage more than ever. They're sticking pretty close to damage being everything, like bloody nose or cut, or like actual physical damage that you see they're scoring. So in the Sean O'Malley-Peter Yawn fight, Yawn didn't make O'Malley bleed, and O'Malley made Yawn bleed with the cut. So they went, it was a really close, super close fight. So the one that's bleeding, lost. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Also get how they can be upset. But if you don't know the criteria, which I only know because I went to the meeting and talked to the refs and judges, That was a blessing that I got, and it explained that to me. It also changed my game. When you are wrestling people, you also got to be looking for elbows and knees. You need to cut them. You have to cut the guy now. So to me, cuts are worth more than takedowns. That's how I'm looking at it now. So I'll fake a takedown, go for a cut. How do I fake a takedown to a cut? How do I get them down and cut him? That's the question. That's where I'm at now because of the scoring criteria, and a cut is easier than a submission, or is a cut easier for a submission, he asks. First of all, again, lot to unpack, I think, here. First of all, why, why do we have to be like the only reason I know the judging and scoring criteria is because I am a, a cage-side commentator and therefore got to go to the referee and judging seminar to learn the criteria? I would argue, I would proffer, Ben, that if you are a professional MMA fighter, you should know the judging and scoring criteria. You should know how the fight is going to be scored. And the idea that it's a black box that no one knows unless you go to the seminar. First of all, that just ain't true.
1: Yeah, but also I, I would say allow for the possibility that Dominic Cruz came up in a different era when we thought we knew what the scoring criteria was based, or at least we thought we knew how it worked based on how judges were scoring fights. And that, especially he came out during the era when, and you want to win a close round, what you do is you get a takedown in the final 30 seconds. And that's how you do it. And that worked like a hundred percent of the time for a while there. So I can understand if he's like, okay, now I'm going to this thing where people are actually reading the criteria and trying to apply it. And, uh, it's a little eye-opening experience for me. I can understand what he's saying there. The thing that, to me, that seems like, I, while I understand all the points he's making, it's like, don't you think if it were as easy as, like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and cut a guy, that you would have been doing that? Yeah. Because it's not like it's totally crazy to think that it would be a good idea to cut somebody's face open in a fight. If you're, It's not like he was sitting there every single time thinking about, well, do I... Do I want to slice his face open with an elbow so that he's bleeding all in his eyes and everybody from the cheap seats on can see how I've fucked him up? Or do I want to nab a knee tap takedown? I think I'll go for the knee tap just because I feel like that's what the judges reward. Like, I don't I don't know that it's quite as easy as just being like, all right, I should just be cutting people open. Noted. I'll just do that now, you know?
0: Yeah, no, you shouldn't have to have that explained to you. But I think Dominic Cruz is a smart guy and an analytical guy. And I, for one, like his commentary, even though I know some people get annoyed by it. But I think maybe he is simplifying, oversimplifying a bit too much here on the scoring criteria. Now, he is probably on to something that very visible damage that the judges can see does, in fact weigh heavily on their minds, but I don't think that's the only thing, right? Like if we are, if we're scoring damage, I think just going out there and putting it on another guy is probably what they're looking for. Not necessarily. If one of the two fighters is leaking, they probably, probably somewhat secondary. Number four, this week, Ben, Mike Perry should sign somewhere soon and says he would like a quote, super fire, big money boxing match. If you don't mind, this is, Mike Perry talking to MMA Junkie Radio. He says another couple weeks, and I believe we should know where I'm going and what I'm doing. They should get me locked down, and then sometime this year, I'm looking for a boxing match. So if there's any opponents out there, then he lists a few. A big name, uh, one of which, one of whom, by the way, is KSI. Sure. Uh, Why not? He says a big name in boxing would be Super Fire. The Tommy Fury fight—that's a big fight. I think. Oh, come on. I think that's very ideal, considering the success I've had in bare-knuckle boxing. I am a professional boxer as well. He's only 8-0 as a boxer, and you know they don't fight huge fights like that until they're like 20-0 and and things like that. So I think that's a big chance. I'm calling for some tough fights here. So, surprise, surprise, Mike Perry would like to earn a lot of money fighting a bad boxer in a professional boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> Including but not limited to either KSI or Tommy Fumbles.
1: You know, you might as well go out and say this stuff because who knows? You know, we are living in the era of the quick money celebrity boxing match. gun. So why not? You know, and as Dan Severn used to say when he, especially late in his career, was throwing out ideas for fights he was never going to get, but was just going to tell you about how he wanted them anyway. If I don't tell you, how will you know? So sure, Mike Perry might as well go ahead and tell us that he would, he would be interested in doing these things at the same time. We were just talking about how Mike Perry found the home he was always meant to find in BKFC. Yeah. Don't, let's not ruin it now by putting the gloves on, Mike. This this is who you were always supposed to be, is a bare knuckle boxer. Like, ride that wave.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the mere fact that he is talking about signing somewhere and still having the option to go do a boxing match potentially lends itself to a, a re-signing with BKFC, I think. Although, who knows, uh, he could potentially reach an MMA deal with like Bellator or PFL or someone like that and still have the option to go box. But I, I mean, I would think that the most likely landing spot for Mike Perry given what he has said and given what the BKFC people have said is probably still BKFC. I think they would like him yeah. to come in there and continue to fight. And then if he gets a a gloved match, a gloved a gloved boxing match with Tommy fumbles, he can go do that in his spare time. Yeah. Number three, this week, Ben kickboxing star, Cedric Dumbay, who once looked bound for the UFC is going with the PFL instead. Now I'm, I bet I'm nailing it on the pronunciation. Of the name, but you remember, you remember uh, when it was rumored Ben that this the kickboxing star Cedric Dumeau he was going to make his UFC debut when they were over in Paris last year. He was going to fight. They had even had a fight booked for him, Darian Weeks, and then they threw it out. The fight got scrapped because the French Commission uh, looked down its nose at Dumeau's professional MMA record. He was just he had two wins, and Weeks had seven fights, so they said he couldn't do it. And then the UFC released Bay later in the year. There were some rumors last month that he was actually going to sign with the UFC again. But instead, the PFL announced their signing of Bay this week via a press release. His debut for the promotion or if he will compete in their annual season structure is not known at the moment. Although it is mentioned that he is expected to be in attendance when they head to Paris in September. That's Jack Wanan's story at Bloody Elbow. So, uh... I don't know if you want to make too big a deal about this, although it was reported at the time before his UFC debut that Cedric Dunbay could be a popular player in the MMA world. And I think it's just another example, frankly, of the PFL making moves.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's encouraging to see them making some moves. And also though, I mean, first of all, French Commission, you you must not know how this works around here thinking that we expect a commission to be going through each matchup and trying to see if they're competitive or not. Come on. <laughs> That's not what you do as yeah. athletic commission. You just
0: rubber stamp the shit and stamp on. It. Make sure everybody gets their money. That's what you're there yeah. for, athletic commission.
1: Doing Did the UFC fumble challenge. the bag, though, by being like, oh, no. well, if this if this guy can't fight for us in France, fuck it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... They, they cut the guy. They, now they're going to be over there. He's going to be over there in the PFL. So
1: And this go. is exactly the kind of science PFL needs. Is anything to just get our attention and be like, oh, oh, you got somebody? Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, some guy might come in there and knock somebody out. Cool, we'll watch. Number two this week, Ben, all Jermaine Sterling becomes perhaps the first fighter in history to argue that he got fewer pay-per-view buys than reported. This is in response to uh, Henry Cejudo coach uh I say with Eric Albarcene yeah. says here he is he's on the MMA hour he says uh now sterling is trying to benefit off the cringe are you serious that's just a cool thing to say to begin with are you yeah. serious you know how many pay-per-views he got 700,000 he needs to be thanking us he never even got over 200,000 on pay-per-view this one was at 700,000 on ESPN plus which is more than double of anything he ever got all Jermaine Sterling comes back on Twitter and says he tags Eric Albarison in this in this tweet and says, I was told yesterday we'd be lucky to break two hundred and fifty thousand pay-per-view buys and you're going on air to lie that, you know, for certain we made seven hundred thousand buys. Are you on the bottle this afternoon, bro? Stop the cap. <laughs> mm, ah. Did all Jermaine Sterling work himself into a shoot? Well,
1: I mean, I would I would argue that if you lay out to me, do I believe two hundred fifty? Do I believe over seven hundred thousand? Way more likely to believe two hundred fifty for this event.
0: Of course, and honestly, I'm not saying he's not telling the truth. What I'm saying is, is he's saying the quiet part out loud just because he's in a tiff with his opponent's manager
1: here? Well, for tax purposes, I'm sure, you know, and for. <laughs> People people asking him for money and everything hitting him up. Hey man, I heard you guys made seven hundred thousand pay per view buys, man. Can you can you can let me hold forty bucks? And he'd be like, "Listen, it was two hundred and fifty thousand if we're lucky."
0: (laughs) Ray Longo is sitting there with a pencil behind his ear, being like, "Aljo, do you know what it's gonna fucking do to our tax liability if people find (laughs) out we made seven hundred thousand buys? Get on top of this shit."
1: (laughs) I mean, at
0: this point. Are you are you making the case that Algernon
1: Sterling should just be arguing that he's every time he shows up he cracks a mill on pay-per-view cuz I, mean, I don't know
0: <laughs> why would you come out and be like actually we didn't sell shit motherfucker <laughs> like why are you out here trying to make it seem like we had a hit when it absolutely flopped I don't why do that just let the guy say it whatever Yeah okay Nobody tuned in to ha- pl- to watch Henry Zahudo would be the thing you say you don't say we actually, didn't that's, what he's,
1: that's what he is kind of trying to say, but, right. but yeah. he's just
0: saying it in the worst possible way for him. All right. Number one, this week, Ben is Texas's bitch ass going to fuck up the Nate Diaz, Jake Paul fight with their quote unquote, no tolerance policy on marijuana. This was during the Jake Paul, Nate Diaz media day where somebody from MMA Junkie, it sounds like Mike bad to the bone.
1: I think it was Mike bad to the bone.
0: Just judging on the voice on the video, asks him essentially about the zero tolerance policy about weed. And uh, Nate Diaz is essentially like, oh, word, pretty much. He's like, say, what's happening now? And he says, yeah, they have a uh, zero tolerance on marijuana here. This after Nate Diaz has already admitted they're talking about drug testing. And he says, there's a lot of weed in mine. There is. Then he's told that they have a zero-tolerance policy for marijuana in Texas, and uh, Nate Diaz's response, well, let's go to California.
1: I guess I'm just glad that somebody's telling Nate Diaz about this now.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, put yeah. it on his radar now. Don't tell him fight week. Let him know now.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, what are the odds Texas is a- Texas actually fucks this up? Given that one of the things we know about Texas is that you can kind of do whatever there, and they're okay with it. Maybe the yeah uh, if they have a
1: zero tolerance policy for weed. That must be the only thing they have a zero tolerance policy <laughs> for.
0: Uh, maybe you get what's this guy's name? Better Derek. Is that the guy who told Nate Diaz that he would beat up Nick Diaz? Have that guy just go lobby in Texas and be like, "Look, we're going to bring a lot of money to the." Greater Dallas metropolitan area, just, just a lot of money
1: and a lot of weed. Those are the two things we're bringing. So just be cool about it.
0: Both ways, great for the local economy. So just let us do it. Let how about that? Yeah, that wraps it up this week for Co Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings and the Power Hour itself. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you were over on the free side, jumping up to peek over the paywall. We hope you liked it. We hope you come join us inside the comfy confines of the co-main event Patreon. We will be back next week. We hope everybody enjoys Bellator. We hope everybody enjoys the UFC on ABC. We will talk to you on Monday for the proper, and then an entire additional week of Patreon content coming at you again. As for right now, thanks everybody for listening. We are done.